This episode of More Than That is brought to you by General Motors. You can learn more about General Motors' commitment to fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion at GM.com. America is divided by class, by race. Those are the main factors. Religion, but definitely class and race. Absolutely. All across America, we've seen examples after examples of police using lethal force when engaging unarmed black men and black women. It took three months of incredible violence and death and murder against black bodies uh, to get us to say, this is different. We don't protest because we want to. We protest because we have to, right? These families are fighting for settlements. They're fighting for accountability. They're fighting to keep their loved ones' names alive, not because they want to, but because they have literally no other choice. If the last couple of years have taught us anything, it's that America is more divided than ever. Now that we've seen the problems, we're all about the action. Yes, 2021 is about the beginning process of the unification of the two Americas, but it's more than that. We need plans, policy, apology, and advocacy more than ever. In this episode, with the help of some incredible experts on the topic, we're calling it all out and guiding our listeners towards some great next steps on how to activate within their own communities. I really want to talk to my friend Brittany Packnett Cunningham to start this off. Brittany is an activist, writer, educator, television commentator, and all-around inspiring leader. You've probably heard her name before, and she has really excited me to activate my activism in any way that I can. With everything that was happening with Black Lives Matter over the summer, everyone was like, I'm going to go to Britney's page. You know, I think it's important for us to realize that what we experienced in 2020 was the latest chapter in a very long, multi-generational freedom struggle that began the second the first ships left the western coast of Africa. I'm hoping that through conversations like these, people remember that when marginalized people, oppressed people, Black people, when we get together and determine what will and will not be, it scares the living daylights <laughs> out of folks in power. Speak. And we should never forget about how much power we have. So if you're feeling scared or like, uh, I don't know, I'm going to just go mind my business. No, 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 no. We have so much power. And if you don't believe it, look at how much we scare folks when we decide to be about our justice business. And so I can't look at the veneer coming off for so many people this summer without thinking about Ida B. Wells making sure that people didn't ignore lynching several decades ago. I can't forget about um, not just what happened to Rodney King, but the person who filmed what happened to Rodney King and the organizers and activists and protesters that made sure that Los Angeles didn't simply ignore what happened to Rodney King and Latasha Harlan. I am thinking of those of us who stepped out on the street in the Ferguson Uprising in 2014 after Darren Wilson had stolen Michael Brown Jr.'s life. I'm thinking of so many of us posting those pictures with our hoodies on when Trayvon Martin was killed. Like, I recall all of these moments because it wasn't like there was a magical switch flipped and that all of a sudden this case was that much different so that when it finally got to the point that boiling point, that people could realize, oh, this is, oh, so this is what you were talking about. That, that moment 
and this movement are not accidental. And I also want to be very clear that I give it all back, all back for any of the people that I just named to still be alive. Right. They're like, I would I would rather us find our way to the freedom struggle without somebody having to lose their life for it. Right. Yeah. Right. That is that is so, so powerful to say, because I think that's one of the things that we often there's so much justifiable anger yeah. around it. But there still has to be reverence for these people's lives. How do you react or galvanize people who think things are fine but they don't believe in the issues just because it doesn't affect them. Like, what what would you say to those people? I mean, if the people who think the issue doesn't affect them are Black, I'm going to tell you I'm sorry that you are going to encounter this thing that I wish you didn't have to encounter. But I want you to know that when you're ready for the work, we're here. If it is a white person saying that they are unconvinced by hundreds of years of history, libraries worth of books, <laughs> academies worth of films, <laughs> museums worth of tweets, <laughs> multiple videos to show you just how real this thing is. I'm actually going to tell you that beyond planting the seed of reality for you, I'm actually not going to spend much of my time trying to convince you of what I know is true and what is true to anybody who's paying attention. Because if you are determined to call us crazy and invalidate our experience. It is a waste of my time and a loss of my precious energy to spend my time convincing you to join a fight that we can wage without you. So you can either get on a train or you can stand to the side, but know that the train is coming. If you still ain't on the train, that's fine. But we don't have time to wait for you to get on board. We gotta move. We're going to pause here to take a quick word from our sponsors. General Motors proudly supports building positive change together. We trust in the future. We trust it with our safety, our well-being, our legacy. We celebrate you. We celebrate Black excellence every day. Today, tomorrow, and for every generation to come, General Motors aspires to be the world's most inclusive company and is committed to helping create a clean, safe, and equitable world for all. Learn more at GM.com. I am so excited to have Mike Muse on the show. Mike has been such an incredible advocate for Black folks for so long, but he also is a part of his own show, The Mike Muse Show on Sirius XM, and he has his own uh, spot on Sway in the Morning, but now we have him here to bless us with his presence. Mike Muse, how are you? Gia Peppers, what's good? I am so excited to be in conversation with you. Today, we are talking about the concept of of two Americas. Um, but we know, especially when it comes to voting, that that was a very big um, reality that we had to navigate through this summer. It's, it's amazing, our democracy. And sometimes Black folk, and for good reason, have had such a mistrust of our democracy. Right. And I was doing my best to explain to people, your vote counts. Whoever gets the most votes in the state, that presidential candidate wins the race for that state. 
that state then allocates the number of votes. How that works out historically, how that worked out in the past is of the past, but this is how it works in practice today. If I'm a politician and I see the same 200 people coming to my town halls and I'm running for whatever political position I'm running for, and it's the same 100 people giving to my campaign, whether it's $100 or $1,000, and I need campaign money to run my campaign, this is where it's coming from. It really is that simple. And politicians, they know where their votes come from and they know where their money comes from. So us opting out has allowed all of this to be ushered in. And I think this is where we are up until 2020. Black folks are connecting the dots of my one vote does count. Uh, They are now seeing what happened in Milwaukee, which made the state of Wisconsin go blue. They are now seeing what happened in the city of Detroit because the city of Detroit made the state of Michigan go blue. They are now seeing what happens when we turn up in Atlanta, and not just Atlanta, but the rural Black southern part of Georgia, the rural Black northern and northwest part of Georgia. When they turn out, the state can go blue. So now we're seeing that, man, if me and my homies would have sat at home, we could have been the difference of Georgia not becoming a blue state, but becoming a, a red state. But I'm, that's why I'm excited for the future. We're voting. We're going to show up to those coffee town halls. We're going to donate $25. We're here because we're voting. What I noticed this year was that everybody absolutely understood that their vote actually did count. What do you think was the big game changer? Now, what made 2020 different in terms of where it's at? For the same reason it took, I would say, a Black man to be elected president, America had to go through what we thought at the time was an awful Republican president. We all love George Bush now. (laughs) We're like, George Bush really wasn't that bad. But at that time, it took that type of Republican president for us to say, well, God damn, we are willing to take anybody. So now you take former President Trump for America to wake up and recognize how a president is tweeting hate how a president is inciting hate crimes and violence, Mm -hmm. how a president is retweeting white supremacy, how a president has allowed white supremacists inside the White House, how a president has given jobs to white supremacists. It took that level of what the WTF, right, to get us to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. But we have to recognize that the former president almost became the reelected president. And I think that's why we still are into Americas. Let's not get it twisted. Racism is real. White supremacy still exists. The Biden-Harris ticket won, but barely. 70 million people still wanted white supremacy to, to rule this country, essentially. What does the future of voting look like in a two very real very present Americas. I think it's going to have to be a continuous effort to vote. I know people always laugh at me. The solution to all these complex issues we're having is you literally just vote. I don't believe in kumbaya. I don't believe we're all going to hold hands and walk down the street. That's not how I think about it. Uh, Because racism is forever going to be here, Gia. And I think we have to be honest with ourselves about that. Because those signs of colored section and whites only section, those signs are just now in words and language and policy and legislation and bills. That's where the racism exists now. And the only way to combat racism is to vote strategically to ensure that these policies have guardrails, that they only go so far or they are not in in there at all. Because right now it's embedded 
in so many areas of policy from the local level, the state level, and the federal level. Please make sure that you are listening to the I Am Mike Muse show because this is this is what he talks about on the regular. That was incredible. Jamira Burley is the definition of the truth. Her personal journey and story has truly shaped her and it manifested into her work as an activist in pursuit of justice. Jamira has the patience to walk other people through understanding the power of showing up for your community and how to do so. And so I wanted to ask you um, about your brother, Andre, um, and then how his passing uh, really put the battery in your back for who you are today. Yeah. um, Andre was, at the time of his death, he was 20 years old. He was uh, three years older than me. And he was a joy, right? He was the class clown. He was the one making all the jokes, but he was also the person trying to fix things. You know, he wasn't perfect by any means. He sold drugs. He lived a life very much in the street, but he didn't deserve to die. And so I try to live a life that very much honors his legacy, but also recognize that, you know, people in our communities are more than the worst thing that they have ever done, that no one should be judged for the rest of their lives based on how they live their life, especially if how they live their lives was a direct reflection of how systems have criminalized who we are. And so it's always, instead of us, you know, criminalizing people, we need to start criminalizing the systems that create the people who commit crime. And so how I tend to like try to look at people through the lens of humanity is not treating people how I want to be treated, but asking people how they want to be treated, how they want me to show up on behalf of them. And so it's not about empowering people. People have their own power. It's not about giving people a voice. People have their own voices. It's about creating space for people to tell their own stories. And it's about allowing people to be able to ask for the things that are going to keep them alive versus assuming that we know what everyone needs. Mm. At what age did you really realize that America was divided? I think I realized that we were divided when I went to college, right? Um, I was the first in my family to graduate high school and go to college. And I went to college because it was a survival mechanism. I was just tired of being poor. But um, I think that's what was the first kind of moment that I was able to look into a world that I had never had access to. Um, And it only deepened my frustration because you constantly feel like, once you, you get 10 steps ahead and the world pushes you 100 steps back, you never feel like you're reaching your full potential because the world doesn't want you to. Wow. Wow. And I remember, like, you know, going to college um, when you are entering into these institutions that were built by our ancestors by hand for free. There's something there that makes you realize that this was never made for you to be educated on. There's a world that you just didn't have the ability to tap into Because one, you didn't know it existed and you didn't know how to even enter into it in a way that was authentic to you. Like, this is what I left my community for, to be a part of something that doesn't feel like community at all. I totally agree with you. Like, it is wild how we are raised to see people, to value people, to talk to people with respect. Um, And some people just don't. Mm -hmm. So many things happened in 2020 to let us see the divide and just how deep it was and how deep it goes. What were what was a moment that like truly frustrated you about just how divided America is? If you could speak to me about it, like even if there was one or two moments where you were like, this is what I'm talking about. 
you know, when the George Floyd protest started in the summer, I attended a lot of them here in New York, and there were white allies who physically put their bodies before the Black protesters because they knew that police would not cause them harm. And I was just like, this is bananas that we're literally asking you for the same thing. You know, just stop killing Black folks. Maybe, you know, today, tomorrow, next week, just stop killing us. And I saw it with how they interacted with white protesters. But um, 2020 was a, a year, a, it, it felt like a dog year. Now that I have a dog, I feel like I put everything in dog perspective. <laughs> Yes, everyone I know has a dog. One thing that 2020 did was gave everybody access to their singleness on a new level. And everyone was like, you know what? I'm going to give me a dog. Everybody's lonely as heck in a world that says we're all connected, but we're not. We're not. I remember marching um, in D.C. I did, I, I was home because I was not about to stay up here by myself in a panty. But, you know, D.C. was very much so, uh, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, there was Black Lives Matter signs Mm -hmm. everywhere, but you still knew that the police didn't necessarily believe that. You still knew that, like, there were tanks lining down K Street. They shut everything down. 14th and K looked like a war zone. And it was just for people who wanted to march for peace. I will say the last few years have allowed not just Black folks the ability to do is to show the rest of the world that America is not what it claims to be. Like, we removed the mirage, right? The the rose-colored glasses are no longer on. It's hard for you to go police the rest of the world when you can barely create human rights here in your own country. So what does that look like now that we see that the mirage is gone? So it's not enough to say the government needs to do this, or businesses need to do this, or community members need to do this. It's saying we all have a collective responsibility to work together to find solutions that are going to put impacted communities at the center of change. It's not a because what we've seen is that trickle down economics never reaches the bottom. There are a lot of people who might not even know the success stories of the movements towards. Uh, equality, equity, and all of the above. What things that have happened in the recent years actually kind of affirmed that the work you're doing, even though it's taking time, is working? Five years ago, people were talking about Black Lives Matter, like it only was a Black issue, or talking about the environment as if it was only an environmental issue. But I think that people are now seeing the intersectionalities of these issues, that you can't talk about equity for Black folks if you don't talk about how waste have been strategically placed into Black communities and why the vast majority of people with asthma are Black folks, right? That is also an environmental issue. And so seeing people talking about those intersectionalities, I think, will allow us to realize that solutions can't be in silos because equity has to be integrated throughout. And so for me, as we have larger conversations around equity, we have to look at how institutions enable communities to continue to live in oppressive states and how oftentimes the taxes, the programs that are developed in those communities um, are actually you know, enabling for white communities to live a much better lifestyle. It's about putting the pressure on the institutions to change. You know, I can care less if this white man down the street don't like me, Right. I can care less. But the question is, is there an institution that if he decides to shoot me, will protect him and not protect me? And that's where I think we need to recognize that the two Americans says that one person's life is worthy of justice and freedom and opportunity and another person's isn't. 
Two Americas is, of course, a subjective phrase. But especially after last summer, many Americans have finally acknowledged that there are real differences in how our communities are treated in this country. It may seem like we take 10 steps forward only to get pushed 100 steps back. But the progress is evident. And yes, it may seem like the same story sometimes, but I believe we are on our way to a different ending. More people are activating their activism every single day. This episode of More Than That was brought to you by General Motors. Visit GM.com for more on their commitment to becoming the most inclusive company in the world. Don't forget to hit subscribe, give us a good rating, and follow us at More Than That Show on all platforms. 